0: would you please join me in a word of prayer? Lord God, I pray that you would help me preach this morning. I thank you for your presence here with us wherever we are. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be not only hearers of your word, but doers of it as well. And I ask this in your holy name. Amen. Well, it's good to see everyone in here and those of you at home as well, worshiping with us. I want to begin by telling you about a famous Italian artist, a sculptor from the 12th century, actually. He's famous as an artist, but he's infamous as an architect. And he's got a great Italian name, Bonanno Paisano. It's a real name. And he's infamous because he is the one that designed what has now been dubbed the Leaning Tower of Pisa, He had this design to build this bell tower, which was a bell tower for the cathedral there in that town. And it was going to be all out of marble and stone and began the work on it, but had only a modest three meter thick foundation and built up to the second story. And when he got to the second story, the whole foundation started to sink. And then what happened was, A bunch of political and military turmoil in the area and a hundred years went by before anything else could be done about the tower there in Pisa. Interestingly enough, over that time, the earth kind of settled under the first story and a half of the tower and then construction resumed. And they adjusted and began to sort of curve the tower a little bit. And in fact, if you count the stairs on one side, there are more than on the other because it's leaning. It was leaning pretty far, like five degrees off of Plum. And the tower is now being mocked by tourists. You know that pose. You've seen it. People stand like this. And the the camera person lines up the lens so that their hands are right on the side of the tower as though they're either holding it up or pushing it down, depending on which side they stand on. And it's become a great tourist site, but if you're the architect, it's very embarrassing. And so um, it's had a lot of rehab work. In 1990, they went and had to bolster up the bottom because it had moved from four degrees of Of shift to five and a half degrees and they pushed it back to just under four degrees where I think it is today. Now, interestingly enough, it's still standing after hundreds and hundreds of years, but it took 199 years to get the thing built and it was never right from the beginning because it was all about foundations. Now, as embarrassing as it is to build a building that leans a little bit, to build a building that falls is far scarier and I don't know how long that tower in Pisa will last. At some point, it's going to fall. But when a building falls, it's terrifying. You've seen those pictures of either intentional implosions of buildings when they want to destroy one, and it comes in on itself, and dust goes everywhere, and it's frightening. But see, the thing about foundations is it's only in the time of testing that you determine if it was a good foundation or not. There were interestingly enough, at least four major earthquakes in the region of Pisa that the now called Leaning Tower survived. It turns out that in that hundred years of it just sitting there with only the first floor built, it kind of stabilized. And then they built and adjusted and there have been four or more earthquakes and something about the soil underneath and the harmony or disharmony with the building caused it to not fall in those earthquakes. It's been tested. And it turned out that the foundation, even though it was off-center, was actually fairly strong. So it's in the testing of something that its foundation is revealed and how good that foundation is. That's why I asked you the opening question this morning. How has your faith been tested thus far in your life? And what did that test look like? The letter to the Hebrews says that God disciplines those that he loves. As a good father would discipline a child. And he does that oftentimes by testing our faith. Now, today we're wrapping up this series in the Sermon on the Mount, and it's also Get Connected Sunday. We named it Get Connected Sunday because we wanted to move our church to action, to be not just hearers of the word, but doers. And I'm going to call you to action today because our Lord is calling us all to action today and every day. You know, James, the, um, the, uh, the author of the book that bears his name and the leader of the church, that first church in Jerusalem, the brother of Jesus, wrote this. This is James one twenty two. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and then he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. If you look in the mirror and you have bedhead, and you turn away and don't comb your hair, what's the point of the mirror? And James is saying the scripture is like that. It reveals something about you, and it invites action. It invites you to do something with it. It is so good when I see the church in action. Even though the rain was out there today or it's about to pour on us, it was great to see the church in action. All of you in the colored shirts or volunteers this morning, everyone was doing stuff. The church was In action. It was such a blessing to see it because we've been on the sideline now for six or more months because of the pandemic. At least people have been busy on their own, but it was good to see the church functioning together. Now, in the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, the end of Matthew chapter seven, Jesus gives a picture of two houses and two builders. Again, I talked last week about binary choices. He gives yet another one here. There are two types of builders of houses and two types of houses. And there are similarities between the two. I'll point out that he says, he begins, uh, Matthew 7 24, he begins the paragraph saying this Everyone who then hears these words of mine. Well, he's now talking to people who are around him. Today, this would be the people who are in church, the people who hear sermons, the people who read the Bible, the people who are in Bible studies. The people who are in seminaries, the scholars, the thinkers, lay leaders who are connected to church. They're people who would call themselves Christians, or in Jesus's day, they would have called themselves uh, students of the rabbi, Jesus. So we're not talking here about church people and then worldly people that have no connection to church. These are people who hear the word. They hear Jesus's teaching. They know what he says. And you'll notice that both houses are basically the same. In fact, any house looks the same from the sides going up. It's the foundation that you can't see. How frightening is it in Florida when you see one of those rare moments where a sinkhole opens up and a house falls into it? It looked great. You just had no idea that all the sand was being pulled out, all the earth was being pulled out by water erosion underneath and left a big hole until the house fell in. Do you actually know what's under your feet right now? There's some concrete. What's under the concrete? I mean, it's a frightening thought, right? You can't see it, is my point. You don't know what's underneath there. And both the houses in this little illustration that Jesus gives look the same until the time of testing. Storms are coming, Jesus is saying. And today is a perfect example. We all woke up early. We pulled up the radar. We went, oh no. Big yellow and red blobs coming across Gainesville. I'm trusting on our aviation experts, the pilots in our congregation know how to, they can sniff out the weather because they've had to live by it, and they're all shaking their heads going, don't do it, (laughs) don't go for it. They're guessing, so, you know, I'm going to give myself about 10 more minutes, and then I think that edge is going to hit, and the parking lot's going to be rained on. So I'm grateful to be in here, I'm grateful that you guys at home are in your house. But storms are coming. The storm like today is a relatively minor one. But I know personally, many of you who've gone through incredible storms. The storm of cancer is so awful and I've been so blown away by the faith of many of you, the foundation got revealed when you got sick. And what was strong suddenly was apparent that you were leaning on Jesus. Your life had been built on him. And so you were able to go through that. Now, not everybody has that storm, but everybody has a storm usually multiple, and everyone has the ultimate storm at the end of their life. We have to go through death unless Jesus returns before that. But a storm is coming, and the question is, how is my foundation? Death will test every one of our foundations, and it will be revealed what we have built upon. So faith in Jesus is what saves us. I want to be clear on that. I'm calling you to do stuff, to be doers of the word, but don't think that your action is what saves you. Your actions reveal the faith you have. Doing stuff in the name of Jesus shows that your faith is real. Resolving to do better doesn't save. Even doing better doesn't save. Last week's text, it was a bunch of people that Jesus said, will come to him saying, Lord, Lord, look what all that we did. And he said, I never knew you. It wasn't what they did that mattered. It was that they knew him and the people that know Jesus are actually doing stuff in his name not so they'd be saved so that they would so that they would be acting on the faith that they really had the doing comes out of believing not the other way around and Jesus is really clear on this but it's not just the two houses and the similarities and what you do to build it's who you are building upon notice what happens at the end of the sermon on the mount it goes Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And at the very end, the last two verses, Jesus finishes his last statement. His last statement was, and great was its fall. Frightening way to end a sermon, but it's definitely a call to action. And then Matthew, the narrator, kicks in and says this, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The Sermon on the Mount is really impressive, arguably the greatest sermon that has ever been given. But what's even more impressive is the preacher who gave it. They were astonished at him because he carried such authority. He wasn't referring to other scholars and saying, Well, Rabbi so and so said this, therefore. He simply said, I tell you. He was speaking out of his divine nature as the Son of God, revealing the truth of God to us. And they recognized his authority. And they were astonished by it. They were impressed by it. They were drawn to him. He's the one that actually was so attractive. People were coming to him. Sinners and tax collectors were coming to him and were actually changing their ways. They were trusting in Jesus, and then they were acting differently. They were putting away their sinful lives. They were doing different things. And it caught the attention of the religious leaders who were talking, who were saying things, who were, you know bantering theology back and forth and were not acting on faith. In fact, they were doing things against Jesus, whereas the sinners, the tax collectors, all the people that needed Jesus were coming to Jesus and were being received and were being so blessed by him. He was healing them. He was casting out demons. He was restoring sight. He was doing all these wonderful signs and he was accepting them. You know, their question was, would God even accept me? Can God forgive me? And in Christ, the answer was absolutely yes. He was accepting them, and their lives were being transformed. Jesus would later tell a parable in Matthew's gospel that goes like this, the parable of the two sons. He says, and he he was being questioned by the religious leaders about the authority that he was speaking with. Everyone understood he had authority. And so they said, where did you get this authority? And he says this to the people that were challenging him. What do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first, and he said, son... Go and work in our vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and he went. And then he went to the other son and he said the same thing. And the son answered and said, I will go. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the Father? And they said, the first. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John the Baptist came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him, and even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Which of the two did the Father's will? Well, the one who went out and actually did what was asked, even though his initial reaction was a resistance. You know, we hear the Sermon on the Mount, and if we're honest, we resist it it's hard. There are some tough things that are said in here, and we recognize right away there are parts of the Sermon on the Mount that are just not in line with our life. There are problems in our hearts, and we resist. But then some draw near to Jesus and are impressed with His authority and recognize His love, and, re- and you realize that He's with you to help you. And then we begin to move on building a life on His teaching. See, the religious leaders were not willing to make the changes. But real faith brings a real kind of life that's different, a new kind of life. And lest I get caught up in the metaphor too long, let me give you real examples here. I want to give you three examples of building a foundation on Jesus' words. And this is actually painfully obvious, and yet it's so hard to make the jump. So here's one. Think for a minute of a difficult person in your life somebody that really tests you and you struggle with. It might be a family member. It could be your boss at work. It could be a neighbor that lives on your street that always is testing you and challenging you in some way. Jesus effectively says this, because of your faith in me, treat them how you want to be treated. Not how they deserved. Treat them how you want to be treated. That's actually the golden rule straight out of his teaching. That's the Sermon on the Mount, verse 12 of chapter 7 treat others the way you want to be treated. It doesn't have another thing that says when they deserve it, if they're good people. It says treat others the way you want to be treated. Now, here's how you become a doer of his word. You think of that person that that popped in your head. If you were in the situation that they're in, if you were the boss and over somebody, how would you want that person to treat you as the boss? What would you like that employee to do? If you were the neighbor, how would you like to be treated? Do those things, is what Jesus is saying. That's pretty obvious, right? Pretty simple. Revenge for someone who's hurt you. Think of someone who's harmed you. It might have been a word spoken against you. They might have slandered you or said something harsh to you. It might be a physical uh, harm that they've done. They might have stolen something from you. They might have jumped ahead of you and taken something that was, it was supposed to be yours, and they took your spot. Whatever it might be, there are a thousand ways that we're, we're harmed. Jesus says effectively, because of your faith in me, I want you to love them and pray for them. I want to go get vengeance. I want to even the score. I want justice. I want to go after them. That's my, you know, human temptation. And Jesus is saying, I want you to love them and pray for them. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Again, straight out of his teaching here. If I believe in him, and I want to build on his words, I want a foundation that is built on what Jesus taught, I've got to learn how to do that. So I've got to talk to Jesus. This one's hard, Lord. This one is difficult. Here's what I want to do. Help me do the right thing. You know, I'll give you a real simple example personally. Actually, it's it's aimed at you too. There is a repetitive scam out there where people create a Gmail account called Anglican Pastor Mike at gmail.com, and they go onto our website, and they find any volunteer's email addresses, and they send you an email, and it goes like this, dear, and they'll put your name in it because they know that you're on the altar guild or whatever. They'll pull up your name. Dear so-and-so, um, I need you to help me with something. I'm running into a meeting right now. Let me know if you can help me. Pastor Mike. They're impersonating me And then you reply, of course, because you don't think I should check whatever the actual label of the email is. So you reply, and then you say, yeah, what do you need, Mike? And then they say, I'm sorry, this is so rushed, and my typing is bad. I need a gift card to help a a parishioner that's in trouble. Could you just get me a gift card from so-and-so, scratch off the number, and text me a picture of it? Sorry for the urgency. That's a really good scam. My email is mike at graceanglican.church, and my personal email is at hotmail." mikemcdonald50 at hotmail.com. If you get an email from me that is not one of those two, it is not from me. So you know what, though? I've emailed that person. And you know what I want to say? How dare you mess with Almighty God and His church? I will pray that He gives you everything you deserve. That's how I want to reply. But I don't. I don't. I struggle with it. And I go, Lord, help me here. And I say... Please don't impersonate a pastor. I'm praying and asking that God would be merciful to you, that he would give you what you really need. He loves you. And I try and send grace, and I so wanna send judgment, (laughs) right? It's very easy. You can build your life on one thing, or you can do the other thing. You have opportunities to do this, but it's hard. I'll give you a third example. Money worries. This one is really hard. Some of you have lost your jobs. Some of you are struggling because of COVID. It's messed things up. Business is very precarious. Some of you are going through the difficulty of divorce. That obviously has, men, uh, has financial uh, and mental implications. It's really hard. Some of you have medical issues that ran up debt. Money is a worry. Jesus says something really tough. Because of your faith in me, remember that God loves you. He feeds the birds of the air and you are much more valuable to him than those. That's tough, right? How, how do I not fear about my needs not going, or going unmet? Lord, help me to do this. See, what you have to recognize here is we've got to walk with Jesus through it. The habit of talking to him about the specific thing from his teaching that's hard. Some bits of his teaching are easier for, for you than others. What's the hard part of the Sermon on the Mount? We've gone through the entire thing since May, all of it. We've looked verse by verse through the whole thing. What was the hard part? Some bits were easier, and you're like, yeah, yeah. That was awesome. I'm building my life on the rock. Sure, that was an easy one. Over here, though, is the tough one. Let's not just pick and choose. Let's figure out what he wants us to work on. Here's the clear summary that he brings his sermon to a conclusion on. Hear the word and then do it. And do it as evidence of your faith in me. So what part is he calling you to work on today? Building a foundation takes time. And the difference between the two houses is this. One popped up real quick. The other one, they spent a lot of time down digging in the dirt and getting down to the foundation and bedrock, and it looked like they were taking forever. Maybe you thought, lazy workers, why aren't they done yet? Look at this house, popped right up. They, one goes up fast, the other one goes up a lot slower. It takes a long time to build a foundation, but everyone is building something. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10.4 that the Israelites drank from the spiritual rock, which was Christ. I don't have time to go there, but if you go to Exodus 17, 6, you read about the Israelites being thirsty in the desert and crying out to Moses for water. And Jesus goes ahead and stands on a rock and Moses strikes it with his staff. He strikes Christ, which is the rock, and it opens up and it brings life-giving water. It was out of that that they were able to live. And Jesus is the rock upon which you build your life. Not just his teaching, but his person as well. Both are in view here. You trust in him, and then you walk with him and ask him to help you become this kind of person described in the Sermon on the Mount. He is present with you to help you build. I was so impressed when I got to see the Holy Land. You guys sent our family to the Holy Land a couple of years ago, and at the Western Wall, when you get to the corner where Wilson's arch is, the men only, unfortunately, are allowed to go under that, and there is a glass plate on the floor, and it's, it's a, got a big column dug down, and it's lit up. It goes down about 40 more feet, and you can actually see the bedrock on which Herod built the Temple Mount with these enormous stones. They're huge. And the Romans came and destroyed the Temple in AD 70, and they didn't touch the Temple Mount. Frankly, it would take more than the Romans and even an earthquake to knock that thing down. Herod dug down and put that solidly on bedrock and then built this massive temple mount and then put the temple on top of that. It's a very big difference from the Leaning Tower of Pisa. How long did it take to build that temple? 46 years. How long did it take just to dig down to get to the bedrock? It's so impressive. Everyone is building something. What are you building? How will you act on your faith? The faith that you profess to have. It's Get Connected Sunday. I want to encourage you to put your faith into action in some way. What is the way that Jesus is calling you to build your life on his teaching because you believe in him? Would you pray with me? Lord, I love calls to action. I thank you for inviting us to live our lives in your teaching. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each person who hears me today about the next building block, on our foundation? What is it in your teaching that we're not doing? We hear you, Lord, and we believe in you. And now, what is it that you're calling us to do? Give us your grace. Give us your help to build on you, the rock. And I pray this in your holy name. Amen.